So it is 9.30 in the morning, and we're doing a podcast with Tara Moore, who already went to her first appointment this morning <laughs> before this. How are you doing? Great. Thank you so much for having me today, and just an honor to sit here and chat with you for a few minutes, candidly, about everything going on in our industry. And Of course. Um, you were one of the first people that I told uh, about this crazy idea that I had to just get together with agents and people in the industry, you know, mortgage people, title, whatever, and have conversations about, um, you know, things that we should be speaking about in the industry mm-hmm. in regards to trends that maybe we, we got to correct a little bit mm-hmm. or sort of set the record straight. And then um, talk about the awesome things that are working for each of our business. And so when I'm talking with you, first of all, I'm very honored. I think you are the first uh, <laughs> National Association of Realtors speakers that, that comes to the podcast. So that's a really cool thing. Um, but I wanted to talk to you about your trajectory first. I know you're mm-hmm. a second generation yes. um, real estate agent. Um, tell me a little bit about how your career started, sort of the steps that have been in between and where you're at now. Mm-hmm. So you're right. I grew up in the business. My dad, um, I grew up in New York, Western New York. My dad has been a broker now for 36 years in the business. So real estate was really all I knew, um, the entrepreneur lifestyle. My mother also owns a business. So it was, you know, there was no way around it. We were a family of business owners um, and entrepreneurs. So from the time I was in diapers, I was really going with my dad many times on showings and it was just in my blood. So I always knew that it was something that interested me, that I wanted to do. When I moved to Central Florida in 2004 and left New York, I started working at that time at a real estate office in East Orlando. Worked there for four years and then actually took kind of a little detour into corporate sales. Mm-hmm. Um, Central Florida is obviously a hub for hospitality and hotels. I actually sold meetings and conventions for a couple of the big hotel brands for a few years, which was super fun. I learned a ton um, about negotiation skills and um, working with big players. You know, many times I was negotiating these sales con- multi-million dollar sales contracts mm-hmm. with CEOs of companies and stuff. So it was valuable experience. But um, there came a certain point where I realized, okay, this this corporate thing, this corporate life. It's not something um, that I want to do for the rest of my life. Right. Went back into real estate. Um, that was around 2012. Um, in 2015 is when the business was growing so rapidly that um, my husband made the, the leap to join me. He got licensed as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in a banking before, mm-hmm. back office, um, trading mutual funds, basically. And he left that and started working with me. And it's been awesome ever since. Very cool. Mm-hmm. And so you've been in a few of the national franchises, mm-hmm. but now you are Terra Moore Real Estate. So mm-hmm. at some point, your husband, Matthew, and you decided um, it's time to sort of go solo. Mm-hmm. Um, when did that happen and how did you get to that decision? Yeah, we really, we started planning um, to make the leap in 2017. But I think in, in my mind, it was something I always um, wanted to do. And I think that, again, like I said back when I just mentioned about not being a huge fan of working for the big corporations, um, I think there's a big sense of pride there, especially where I came from, mm-hmm. um, of owning a business. Um, nothing against the bigger bigger brands. You know, there's some, that's what I, one thing I love about our industry is there's something for everybody. Mm-hmm. If you want the big name brand, <clears throat> 
there's an option for you. Um, but as far as owning our business, it was something that we always knew what we were going to do eventually, but mm-hmm. when. The big thing that really um, made me take that leap was honestly there's some, as you know, rules and regulations coming coming down the pike about um, marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, my degree is in marketing. Marketing is a huge passion of mine. Mm-hmm. Not just marketing for my clients, marketing properties, but marketing myself um, mm-hmm. in the business, which is one of the primary things we, we need to do, whether mm-hmm. whether we realize it or not. Um, and those rules coming down where, you know, you, you obviously are to m- market your brokerage that you work for first and foremost mm-hmm. and biggest and loudest mm-hmm. um, above yourself Um I knew that wasn't going to work with my style and the way that, that I wanted to do things. So that was really, with that rule, and I'm a rule follower as well, so I was like, okay, how am I going to keep doing this um, but be legal? Yeah, and for the people that are listening to this outside of Florida, that they mm-hmm. may not know what you're talking about, a little bit of a background is um, the state of Florida noticed that there was a lot of people operating as teams within mm-hmm. brokerages, mm-hmm. and the branding for these teams would take up like 90% of the mm-hmm. sign. And then in the lower corner, there was a very small fine print that said, you know, the name of the brokerage that they operated under. And so the state of Florida sort of looked at this and, and paraphrasing, they, they want to make sure that the consumer has a way to understand exactly who the broker is mm-hmm. that is, you know, has this house advertised. And so they passed this um, new guidelines that make it so that um, marketing has to be, um, the brokerage has to be represented at least as large or larger than whatever team or mm-hmm. individual has that listing. And so I can see how that would be difficult for you because your branding is huge. Everybody knows the Terramore brand in the area. We know the colors. We know sort of what it looks like. And, and it's certainly a challenge when those guidelines change, especially if you have to go out and get new signs, new business cards, change your logos or whatnot. Um, it's probably the perfect time to jump and do this on your own. Um, tell me a little bit about your structure. So Terramore Real Estate, Matthew is yeah. the broker of record. Correct. And you are obviously the other part uh, or the managing partner within that organization. Um, who else is in that organization? It's funny you say that because that is literally as soon as somebody finds out, you know, what do you do? Well, we own a real estate brokerage. Oh, that's great. Whether it's somebody in the industry or some, you know, somebody in the, in the public. How many agents do you have? That's automatically the first question I get, um, which isn't a bad question. And um, it's certainly the mold you know, mm-hmm. uh, of the brokerage model in real estate. But the answer to your question is, is that it's just the two of us. Um, and pretty intentionally, we've kind of always known that that was going to be the goal, mm-hmm. which is, like I said, breaking the mold a bit from what the traditional um, idea is. Mm-hmm. So from somebody getting their license, learning the business, hopefully, um, being an agent, um, maybe they go the route of joining a team or maybe they just stay as a single agent um, if they decide to open their own brokerage. Many do so with the plan, or I'd say most actually, do so with the plan to um, hire many, many layers of people under them, whether it's Mm -hmm. licensed um, agents or unlicensed assistants, et cetera, et cetera. Um, We just knew in our guts, I mean, early on that that was not going to be the model for us. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely know what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the race, you know, right now is in the companies about who has the most agents. Mm-hmm. 
someone like me, who is very much a critical thinker, I, I hear stats about agent count. All I can do is shake my head mm -hmm. because agent count doesn't benefit any one individual agent. Agent mm -hmm. count, um, it's, a, it's a very meaningless uh, piece of data when we're talking about sort of the success of the overall company. You can have a thousand agents. If no one is selling houses, there's not revenue. Right. Um, so I've always, you know, my dad was a business owner his whole life. He has mm -hmm. sixth grade education, but... Um, you know, he, he was just a really hard worker mm -hmm. and he understood that, um, the best way to, to develop businesses was to keep your expenses low, um, and to lead by revenue, do the things that are making you the most profit. And mm -hmm. so agent count doesn't necessarily fit into that, but your model is sort of like the, the extreme end of that because you guys are very high producing and you don't even have assistants. You don't have transaction coordinators. You do everything yourself. Mm -hmm. The good news is you offer incredible high level service. Mm -hmm. I've, I know many of your customers mm -hmm. and the reason is Facebook. And I know this yeah. because of Facebook. So um, because of Facebook, um, a lot of times I see sort of people that are my neighbors or my friends yeah. that have worked with you And everybody raves about you. You guys offer um, tremendous service. So the fact that it's just the two of you does not take away at all from the service. If mm -hmm. anything, it's providing a layer of sort of accountability and ownership because there isn't a third person to make that difficult call in the morning. It's going to be you having that conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and you and I have talked about this, that perhaps the model of having, you know, 200 agents under one brokerage may take away a little bit from that accountability. Um, and so, you know, I think one of the things that we want to talk about is what are some trends that we see in the industry right now that that may not be in the best interest for sellers or mm -hmm. buyers. Mm -hmm. And so I we've talked about iBuyers, uh, but I think it's important to talk about also about, um, do you think the state of Florida eventually we're going to get to a point where Um, on a real estate class, they, they'll show a purchase contract to the agents. I mean, that might be something that shocks someone listening to this right now, not in the industry, that you can be a licensed real estate agent that has never looked at a purchase contract because that's not a thing that's shown on real estate pre-licensing classes. Do you think maybe right. we go that way? Yeah. I mean, there's so much, so much there. Um, Backing up a minute to talking about the the team structure and how yeah. you know it's basically force fed, um, in a sense that that is the model um, for sellers or or buyers. Um, I'm with you. Like I don't necessarily always believe it's in the best interest. We offer a certain level of service. That's not to say that somebody on a team. Um, a, a big team or with tons of assistance under them can't offer that personal mm -hmm. service, but the reality is you're, you're you're losing that personal touch a bit, right? Um, I met with an agent long ago, a high producing agent that you know their model was, you know, look, I, I go to the listing appointment, I sell this seller on working with me, you know, I sell me, mm -hmm. and then I never talk to them again. Mm -hmm. And I just shook my head, thinking that is not at all who I am. That's not what I want to do. Um, so that's from the client side. From the agent side, like you said, it's not necessarily in everybody's best interest. Um, there are some great broker owners. They're great team leaders. But then on the other side of the spectrum, I mean, you and I both know there are some that 
have no business leading a team, frankly, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and they don't, they might not even know that, you know, the skill set for being an agent, being a salesperson, being a top producer in our business is completely different than the skill set needed to be a leader. Absolutely. Right? And I think, I think that's part of the, that mentality of a force fed or mm-hmm. unique way of growth. Mm-hmm. And yes, there will be a lot of people that will say verbally, oh, everybody has a different way. There's, there's room for everybody. And, and they will say that outwardly. Mm-hmm. But when you're having private conversations with them, that's not really the belief. The belief is you grow by growing your team, by growing the agent count that you have mm-hmm. under you, and by capturing a larger slice of the market. And the problem with that is precisely what you're saying. Real estate organizations, so whether it's a team or a brokerage, once mm-hmm. they get to a certain level, they need a person with a different skill set mm-hmm. to continue to offer the customer service and to continue to grow at the same level. And so, you know, I always thought that the, the most successful teams and the most successful brokerages are the ones that identify this early on. And they say, we get to this level and the broker or the team leader says, you know what, um, a lot of what we're doing marketing-wise is now outside of my pay grade. Mm-hmm. Let me bring in someone that, ha- that specializes on this and can make it more streamlined, um, and I'll take that off my plate. And, and by the way, just because I'm a great agent, that doesn't make me a great human resources person. So maybe I'm not going to be the best person um, to be in charge of the hiring. So let me bring someone that has expertise mm-hmm. in that area, um, and, and then they grow that. And so I think the organizations that do it that mm-hmm. way – they're able to maintain a, a, a really good focus on the customer service, a really good focus on the attention to the agents as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of agents get put in this sort of like machines that are yes, running yes. and they engage, they get chewed up and then they leave the industry. And by the way, I've seen it firsthand. I can, I can rattle off names of people that that has happened to because these machines were not as well oiled as mm-hmm. we thought. And a lot of the industry trends right now over the last almost 10 years are resting on a simple fact. We have had an upswing market for the last nine years. So if you were just basically doing the same thing year over year, you should have seen a 15 to 20% growth. And that's not an, in, an indicator of your personal genius. That's an indicator of being on an upswing market. Um, what are some other things that you see in the industry right now that, that were different two years ago um, that, that perhaps mm-hmm. sort of pique your interest or, or, or keep you up at night a little bit, if you will? I think with the, like you said, the up market, um, obviously, this is an amazing business, right? Mm-hmm. Where there's a place, I say a place for everyone in the sense of there's a, there's a, a spot in our industry for an introvert, an extrovert. Somebody that wants and is content selling 20 homes a year. Somebody that wants to kill it, grow a huge company, become a broker owner, mm-hmm. right? Like you understand what I'm saying. So there's a place for some everybody. All I ask is that at no matter where you want to be on that spectrum, be a professional. Mm-hmm. Be committed to our business, our craft. Continually grow. Um, like you, you hit on it earlier. It When I... Got, went to go get my license, right? Went to the school, um, studied the book, went to the class, 
Went to take the state exam, graduated. Yes, I'm a licensed realtor, or I'm a licensed real estate agent. Joined the board. I'm a realtor. I never saw a copy of our Florida real estate contract. And at that point, I, I mean, I said, whoa, wait a minute. And it, that thought struck me very early on, mm-hmm. you know, as thinking, okay, that means everybody, n- nobody is required to understand, not even understand, to read mm-hmm. a copy of the real estate contract um, or all of our various forms and documents prior to going out there and getting their first client. Um, things like that. I think just the lack of the, the amount of responsibility we hold to each other and the public and the lack of true digging in on the, on the really, really important things. We're really good at learning the, some of the fluffy stuff. Um, but the really day-to-day, in-and-out important stuff, like something as simple as the contract, mm-hmm. you know, that was mind-blowing to me. And I know we've had the conversations about this before. Yeah, and so there's, there's two very specific things to unpack there, and I want to unpack them separately. So the first thing is, you know, perhaps the rules and regulations that govern um, the licensing and the operation of real estate agents in the state of Florida might be a tad outdated. And I think these rules were very well intentioned early on, but the reality is things have changed drastically. So even if we just go back maybe 10 or 15 mm-hmm. years, you didn't see offices with 100 agents, 200 mm-hmm. agents as commonplace. Right. You know, offices had a handful of agents. And so, you know, maybe it's one of those things that now brokerages, because of technology, because people work from home, because people have access to the MLS on their computer, um, because a lot of people even just work from their phone, mm-hmm. um, the office space is not longer, uh, the office space no longer needs to reflect the exact agent count that you have. You can have an office that's a thousand square feet and 200 agents. Right. And that can function, that, that machine can function. And I sometimes wonder, are we ever going to revise this? Like, how many agents is enough for one mm-hmm. broker? Mm-hmm. You know, the state of Florida evidently put rules in place for um, a licensed real estate agent to have to be licensed for a number of years before they can be a broker. And then you that means the broker is sort of like the overseeing person. Right. Um, but the problem with that concept is that there's nothing that requires that broker to be involved on a day-to-day right. basis with the operations of that agent. So you can be a newly licensed agent, go put your license with a brokerage, and you can go show houses the next day. And the reality is you're not doing anything that's illegal or outside the um, the spectrum of our guidelines, mm-hmm. but it's probably ill-advised. And so that's one thing that I'm always curious about. Like, how many agents can a broker have? Like, right. how many is enough? Right. If the state of Florida thought, or if initially when these things were conceived, they thought that um, the number was unlimited, then there would be one broker for the state of Florida appointed by the state and everybody would just work under that broker. Just hang your license under that. Yeah, you just would just hang your license under that. But evidently that wasn't the case. So maybe that's part of what needs to be updated. And the other part is when companies have a financial incentive to bring in anyone that has a license Mm -hmm. under their fold because they start paying, you know, a monthly fee to the mm-hmm. office, the $60, $80, $90. Um, when they start doing that, regardless of whether they sell real estate or not, 
um, those numbers start adding up and it doesn't really co- cost the brokerage a whole lot. So a brokerage that has 10 agents that are not selling homes but are paying $80 a month into the brokerage, right. that brokerage is getting $800 of clean revenue on a monthly basis, $9,600 a year. With very little liability. With very little liability because they're not operating. Yep. Yeah, they're, they're not yep. selling homes. Um, and the liability part is another one that goes a little mm-hmm. overstated. We have mm-hmm. e insurance and mm-hmm. other things that mitigate that liability for brokers. So that's kind of how you have an mm-hmm. outfit of one broker with a thousand agents underneath. Right. Um, and, and so, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think that the from digging in a little bit and understanding when these you know, processes were created as far as licensing, you know, even just the courses, the course content. I think most of that stuff, to your point, as being outdated, was created um, not that many years ago, but it seems like a totally different world now where the responsibility, you know, you go, you get your license, and, and the state of Florida's assumption or understanding was then you go hang your license with a broker that is training you up. Mm-hmm. Um, taking the time to do so, the personal connection. Um, and that is where you were going to get your hands-on training. That's where you were going to learn the contracts. Not mm-hmm. that you were going to go from literally passing the tests, walking out of the Pearson Testing Center, mm-hmm. and go sell a house You know, mm-hmm. the next day on your own in this completely um, autonomous state, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I do agree that there... And things have changed, as we see. Of course. Um, a broker in that sense, in the time that they're investing, um, can't do it for nothing, right? Mm-hmm. So that's when we saw broker splits, you know, being much higher mm-hmm. as far as the agent m- making less, the broker taking more because of their time and because the, the, the investment in teaching that person. Mm-hmm. Well, as the pressure, I think, on brokers grew to um, compete mm-hmm. for these agents, the broker splits went up, up, up. Well, somebody, you know, if you have a, uh, the broker's making 5%, let's say, in our world, um, the broker can't invest as much time in the agent. Mm-hmm. And this just spiraled a little bit out of control. And then you get to your point, the thing where, you know, each head, each agent's head is worth a certain amount per month mm-hmm. in a monthly fee versus production. It's just, yeah, it's, it's kind of spiraled from there. So. Yeah. So it, it's, is things that I, I really hope and wish that they get revised. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, there's evidently updates to the content of the licensing classes. There's updates to the contracts. There's updates to all these things here in our industry. But um, I definitely think instead of just updating sort of the old things that we have, maybe it's time to get, you know, some people that are much smarter than me to um, sort of wipe this stuff out and say, you know, what really makes sense for today's, mm-hmm. um, for sort of today's world? Like, what are the guidelines that we need to impose so that we can protect the consumer? I mean, this mm-hmm. is a conversation not about, you know, old crusty agents sort of wanting to be like, darn it, there's too mm-hmm. many new agents. That's right. not what this is about. This is a conversation about people who are working in the industry on a day-to-day basis with agents on a day-to-day basis and who want more for the consumer. We want more for the consumer. We want more um, for the experience that consumers and agents Mm -hmm. alike get. Um, The other thing that I wanted to unpack with this thought was also in the camp of real estate agents, there there tends to be two views on this. And Mm -hmm. um, I'm not really sure which one you're in, but... You know, there is a view of 
maybe we shouldn't be having these conversations on the public square at all. Maybe these conversations, if they happen, they should only happen in these very close rooms with like secret handshakes um, <laughs> to be able to get let you into those rooms. And then there's another camp that says, which by the way, it's sort of where I'm in because if I'm doing this podcast and talking about it, I'm, I'm, it's pretty obvious where my heart lies in here. Mm-hmm. And is... I think this conversation should be had in the public square. I think I think having conversations openly um, about these things is what's going to um, perhaps create a mind change, a, a mind a mind shift on mm-hmm. how we approach these things, how we view not only the transaction but how we take pride in providing excellent service to everyone in the transaction, not just our customer, mm-hmm. uh, which is another misconception. Customer service. Um, uh, has this implication that we shouldn't have these conversations in the public square. I, I, I don't necessarily like that. I like, mm-hmm. I like the idea that we can um, sort of discuss things openly um, and, and in doing so, um, we raise the bar of the conversation. If the conversation gets a little bit higher, um, I think we improve the industry overall. And I have an example for that. My example is photography. Mm-hmm. When in 2012... Um, I, I used to do photography in my, in my previous life, just sort of as a hobby. I, I haven't grabbed a camera in years. But when I first um, got, got back into residential real estate, I had my, uh, my nice camera and I would look at homes. Um, I was home shopping at the time. And I remember telling my agent, like, man, why do the pictures suck so much? <laughs> like, it was terrible. If you go back to 2011... And you look at real estate pictures, it was literally people's iPhone and yep. people's like um, sort of like Kodak $49, yeah, yes, yes, you know, yes. little camera. And so I started for, I think it was a hundred bucks or 120 bucks. I offered to a few agents that I knew then mm-hmm. um, that I would do pictures of their listings. And at the time, the MLS only allowed like 18 pictures, I think it was. Then mm-hmm. it went up to yeah, 25. Yeah. But I would go and take 18 pictures with my um, with my ample lens and um, and some wide angle shots of bathrooms and such where my, and people were like, yeah. Oh my God, this looks incredible. By the way, there was no lighting. Yeah. It was fairly straightforward stuff. And what's happened is because the conversation of mm-hmm. doing professional photography went to the public square, everybody had to raise the bar. Mm-hmm. Now, today days, that's a question consumers have asked me on a listing appointment, meaning, are you going to be using a professional photographer to take a picture? And I'm like, well, yes, I will. And so I think having conversations in the public square certainly raises the bar because there might only be two or three consumers that are listening to this, Mm -hmm. but then there's two or three agents that share it and and everyone starts talking about it. And so then the conversation um, starts becoming, you know, at the dinner table, like, oh, I want to list my house. And your niece, who just became a real estate agent, says, oh, I'll list it for you. And the person goes, have you looked at a real estate contract before? And the niece <laughs> says, uh, no, yeah. I haven't. Yeah. And so that raises the bar of the industry. And that's right. my hope anyways. Right. But there's people that think that this shouldn't be happening, mm-hmm. that what we're doing right now is detrimental to the industry. Mm-hmm. And how do you feel about that? It's a, it's a bit of a loaded question, right? But I, I do agree. I mean, sometimes it takes squeezing people into this little um, area where we're a little bit squirmy. We're a little bit uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you aren't uncomfortable with 
some of the things that we experience on a daily basis, and you, without even having to name things, you know exactly what I'm talking about, um, professionalism-wise and just experiences with, with others in our industry and stuff. Um, if, you aren't, have you, if you haven't had uncomfortable experiences and things happening um, almost on a daily basis, then you're probably not a high producer. You know, you're not doing a ton of business in real estate. Um, and I don't mean that in, a, in an arrogant way or anything, but it's just it doesn't take doing many deals to see what's going on. And it's not until we get a little bit uncomfortable about those things that we start to push back and say, no, you know, this isn't the way that it has to be. And that is what's going to ultimately raise the bar, raise the expectations, um, the professionalism for the industry. So I do have a passion for the teaching piece um, and conveying what I know and what I've learned and how we can elevate the industry. Um, and not in a, in a sense that, you know, you're, you're shaming any, anything necessarily, right. any one thing, but, you know, just more in an effort of let's everybody together. The picture bring example it all up. is the picture example. Yeah. No one. I you, you weren't shaming those. Well, the camp, there, there, was, there was some. There was a slight amount of shaming. I get that. But. There was a slight amount of shaming. You know, there, there's. There was actually, I think there was a Facebook page that was sort of like MLS, funny yes. MLS photos. And, you know, you would see the picture of the agent without a shirt taking a picture of the bathroom and, you know, the in reflection the in the mirror. And yep. so there was some funny stuff with that. But it wasn't shaming in the sense of... Um, you're a bad agent. You're a terrible you agent. This. Yeah, you're a no. terrible agent because you do this. Mm-hmm. It was simply saying there is another way. And mm-hmm. in fairness, for the longest time, finding a real estate photographer mm-hmm. was a very difficult thing to do. And I'm just talking in Central Florida. There might be someone in a different part of the country listening to this that says, it's still difficult for me to find a real estate photographer mm-hmm. in my area. Nowadays in Central Florida, we have a lot of them. So there's no excuse. But it's that sort of same mentality um, that I think helps us grow um, the industry. And I think the contract piece is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I've, I've, I'm a big proponent of, I think agents should know that contract. Like once a month, dust off the contract and read it. Mm-hmm. It's 10 pages. Mm-hmm. You'll be all right. Just read the contract and make sure you, you, you have every piece of it um, sort of mastered mm-hmm. so that you know what your clients are getting into. And certainly when there is an update on a contract, that's a, that's a very important thing. Writers mm-hmm. um, going to classes about how to write addendums. That's probably one of the biggest mm-hmm. um, sort of aha moments in the industry. When I would sit on a class and um, the person teaching the class would share addendums that have been written by agents. And the reality is there is no protocol in a lot of places to whether these addendums should be um, signed off by the broker before they are submitted. Agents mm-hmm. just write them. Right. And now you're writing legal exactly. verbiage yep. into a piece of paper right. that could create a, a, a certain amount of liability and exposure to anyone in this transaction, including mm-hmm. your own self. As practicing law, you know, yeah. which is a big no-no. But yeah, 100%. I mean, and, and there are tools available, you know, to try to, but you have to be the one Seek Unfortunately, to seek them out. Um, but that doesn't excuse you from seeking it out. You know, right. you should still seek them out. There's, like you said, the classes, contract classes. Um, but even those, I've attended many of those contract classes, and they do t- tend to remain very, you know, PC, 
in a sense, mm-hmm. and, and on, on the surface a little, but still, it's better than nothing. Mm-hmm. Above and beyond that, one thing I've done many times and still continue to do, literally yesterday had a, had a conversation with an attorney about something in the contract that could, the, the contract's not perfect, right? It can be reviewed one way, maybe one way the next day um, on certain things, depending on the given scenario. Um, so I'm a big advocate for having a, an attorney on retainer on your team, um, or multiple, um, and somebody that you can seek counsel from and just have those conversations about parts of the contract. And hey, I'm, I'm maybe even starting out, can you, can we spend a couple hours? You know, I'll pay you for your time. I promise it is well worth it mm-hmm. to sit down and go through that contract. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something I've recommended and, and have personally done and still continue to do. Yeah. One of the things that, it's funny because when you speak to attorneys, this is something that I, I think makes lawyers very salty all the time. And is that a lot of real estate agents believe they, they should talk like attorneys and they should, you know, be giving legal advice. And the feedback that I've heard is that by the time real estate agents get to them or ask them for advice, they've already kind of dug themselves halfway into a hole. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, um, with that idea is that you should absolutely have a real estate attorney that you can talk to that. If you, if you aren't able to send a text message to a real estate attorney, um, you're probably not gonna be able to get out of certain situations because by the way, stuff always seems to hit the fan on a weekend. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I, I find that extremely valuable to have those people, you know, that I trust and that I say, Hey, you know, this is what's going on before I talk to anyone else mm-hmm. in about this specific issue. How do we proceed going forward? Right. And a lot of times it's a very simple, hey, just do this, just write this, blah, blah, blah. A lot of times it's one of those that it's like, um, I need to be speaking with that buyer directly. I need to be mm-hmm. speaking with that seller directly because you shouldn't be um, mm-hmm. the person giving this specific advice. And so that's when you refer those people over and in doing that, what I found is real estate is not a very stressful thing for me. Mm-hmm. It's not because whenever I'm working within the scope of my expertise, mm-hmm. 90% of the time and that 10% of the time that something arises that it's outside the scope of my expertise, mm-hmm. I seek out the advice from the people that that is their domain. That yeah. is the thing yeah. that they do day in and day out. And, and that works wonderful for having a good life, mm-hmm. um, for sure. Another thing I wanted to talk to you about is it's just you and Matt, mm-hmm. but you guys do a, a very good amount of volume. How do you go about selecting uh, partners in your business? Because vendors in the industry knock the doors of these giant real estate offices because mm-hmm. they have a larger captive audience to speak to. And that is a very formidable approach to you know developing your business. But I imag- imagine there's a bit of a challenge when it's only just two people um, you're not having as many offerings or are you, are they, how does that, how do you select the people that you do business with? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I've heard many people say before, um, that if, if a partner isn't referring business back to you, then that's not a very good partner. And that's, I suppose, a valid point for us. It's more about the competency and the trust in that partner. I really could care less if they're referring business to us or not. Now through the years, through building that relationship and them, um, seeing the way that we work, seeing the way we handle our clients, um, the dedication, whatever you want to call it, um, referrals have come, 
but I'm not staking my business relationship on that. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as choosing lender title, you know, legal partners, it's it's really just trusting, finding out more about them, their skills, um, service. You know, mm-hmm. the customer service level has to be at a very, a very, a very high standard mm-hmm. because of how we operate. Um, and really just from there and building, building that relationship with a very select few. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think whoever listened to this, this was very helpful to anybody. Um, I absolutely love talking to you. And I said this to Jen, so I don't want to be repetitive in all my podcasts, sort of say the same things. But you are one of those people that I can talk to for hours and mm-hmm. hours and hours. Um, yeah. So we'll definitely have to do this again. Um, thank you so much for doing this. And I know you have another appointment to get to. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Tara. Thank you.